0: Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrences. Concurrences is the leading antitrust database, with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrences is also the largest network of antitrust experts, with lawyers, economists, enforcers and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news, thanks to our guests the best experts in the antitrust world. Hello everybody and welcome to our series on foreign investment regimes around the world. I'm delighted to be focusing today on the UK and for that purpose Sarah McIntosh has joined us. She's the deputy director of the UK national security and investment team. I'm also joined by Sully Mann who is a partner in our team in London, focusing on foreign direct investment and indeed the new UK regime. So delighted to welcome both of you here today. I think perhaps what I'd like to do, Sarah, is start by asking you a question. So the UK has obviously very recently introduced this, what I would call a CFIUS style, foreign direct investment regime. And and I wonder if I could ask you to explain a little bit the objectives of the regime, Um, And why the UK National Security and Investment Act was passed very recently, of course, 29th of April, if I remember correctly. But uh, perhaps I can hand the floor to you for for a bit.
1: Sure. Thank you. Um, So the UK does have existing investment screening powers under the Enterprise Act. But the Enterprise Act is primarily a competition regime with a few public interest test powers bolted onto it. And that worked very well for many years. However, as we've seen the economy transform and develop, we've also seen certain types of actors behaving rather more cunningly and changing their approach to getting deals through. We just felt that competition regime, because it has certain thresholds in it, wasn't necessarily Quite right and quite working for the future economy and the economy as it is now, where you know technology is advancing so quickly. The kind of arbitrary thresholds of the competition regime no longer made sense for kind of some of our most sensitive sectors. So the government decided to update those powers and bring them in line, in fact, with many of our allies, not just the US, but many of our allies who have similar regimes, and thought that it was the right time to update those powers to give them more flexibility to act where they need to.
0: And could you very briefly describe the main features of the new Act,
1: Sarah? Sure. There is mandatory notification requirements for 17 key sensitive sectors where the acquirer of companies on certain qualifying acquisitions will need to notify the government. That's backed up by a voluntary regime across the wider economy so that if acquirers think their transaction may raise a national security concern, they can voluntarily notify that transaction as well to get a view from government. also has a call-in power, so once people notify, or indeed if they don't notify but the government notices something through market monitoring, the Secretary of State has the ability to call in that transaction and to do a bit more of an investigation on it to understand exactly sort of what's behind it. And at that stage, uh, the Secretary of State either has the power to clear the transaction or has the power to perhaps put forward some remedies or mitigations to reduce the national security risk, or in extremis, he has the power to be able to block the transaction from going ahead. And and just to add, also, for the first time, it also covers assets, which our existing powers under the Enterprise Act does not cover assets. but. The new regime does cover assets, although that's only covered by the voluntary regime.
0: Thank you. That's very clear. So I think one of the slightly controversial aspects of the of the Act is its retrospective power. So the point being that for transactions after November 2020, it is possible once the regime comes into operation for you to uh, take a look at those completed transactions and call them in if you want to. And I think my understanding and our practice certainly at the moment is that you know where uh, clients are potentially concerned about that possibility, they're already informally uh, notifying you around transactions. And I just wondered, it would be quite interesting to hear from you about well, the kind of transactions you're being notified about in this sort of interim period. And also, once the regime does become operational, Perhaps you give us some indication of the size you anticipate your workload's going to be and the industries you expect to, to come onto your table most frequently?
1: Sure. So I think at the moment, we are not being formally notified. It's kind of informal notification for guidance purposes, because until the act actually commences, we can't formally clear anything. But what we can do is provide informal advice to say, this is something that we're likely to have an interest in or not. And in most cases, it's been not, to be honest. Most of the notifications have come in the 17 sensitive sectors that we've set out. I say most, not all. Some people have taken a very cautious approach to their transactions and have notified us anyway, just to get some guidance, which is been fine. I wouldn't say we've been overwhelmed by those requests. I think since November, we've only had in the region of around 80 or so, but mostly in the 17 sectors, and some people being extra cautious just to get that advice up front.
0: Thank you very much. So, sunny perhaps turning to you, I mean, we've certainly, we have a, a share of that 80, I think, probably yeah. to date. And also, once the regime becomes fully operational, you know, what do you expect to see in terms of mandatory notifications? So when do you think we might be making voluntary notifications?
2: Yeah, thanks, Sam, and very good to be joining you both today. So, Sam, UK government at the moment is estimating around 1,800 notifications per year, give or take. We've already got a a sense of this from Sarah, but given the level of engagement and questions we're getting from clients, even prior to the act being operational, my sense is, we're looking at a higher figure. Time will obviously tell where exactly we land. And I think that would especially be the case during the early years as clients look to you know, get more comfortable with the process. We're hearing from Sarah, you know, the risks of not notifying are pretty serious. You know, we talk about nullity of the transaction, potential criminal liability in the worst case scenario for directors. And so this is likely to result in a degree of cautious over notifications. And we got a little sense of that from Sarah. I think as to when we might see voluntary notifications once the act is operational, one of the scenarios you've already picked up on, Sam. So during this interim transitional phase, we've already heard from Sarah that, you know, a number of companies are choosing to voluntarily engage with the unit to get some guidance. I think the other one, Sam, is uh, as we've heard, you know, the mandatory filing obligation only applies to share deals in the mandatory sectors. I think beyond that mandatory notification obligation, I think a key area where you would seriously consider voluntary notification is where you've got an asset deal in one of the mandatory sectors due to the sensitivity of the target sector. So I think that's one key area to look out for.
0: Thank you. Thanks very much. So Sarah, I've certainly been participating in a pilot around, you know, having this uh, notification system sort of fully digital. And, you know, I've to the Australian verb Chair who's pretty impressed with that all digital approach. Maybe you can talk a bit about how you're making plans to be able to tackle this, what's going to be quite a hefty workload, I would say.
1: Yeah, I think we're obviously very keen to make it as easy as possible for people to be able to notify us. We realise this is a new regulation and therefore does create some burden But we're trying our best to make sure that it runs as smoothly as possible to keep the burden to an absolute minimum. So we are currently working with our IT teams to design a fully sort of digital case management system where people will be able to fill in a form online, just like they do with HMRC for the various tax things, etc. Something that will be quite user friendly. And then that will come to us and talk to our sort of sensitive systems where we can hold commercially sensitive and national security information be able to process deals quickly through a completely digital case management system and actually we've learned a lot from the US and the way that they do it their system is fully digital and we've been quite inspired by them so still a work in progress it's obviously not an easy IT project we're working through it now.
0: Interesting that you've received uh, some inspiration from the US and also the confidentiality aspect sounds important. So good to hear that you're taking that seriously. So Sunny, when it comes to filling in these forms, I just wanted to ask you a bit about, you know, the kind of skill set and legal expertise Mm. that is needed. You know, you and I come from sort of different regulatory backgrounds and maybe you can just comment a bit on that.
2: Yeah, you're right. You come from this uh, from the perspective of, of an antitrust lawyer. I come at it from the perspective as a, as a trade lawyer, and that's what our team comprises. And I think, Sam, both bits of the team bring quite complementary but critical skills to the table. Now, having worked in merger control cases as a junior lawyer, Sam, I know how antitrust lawyers are really adept at navigating regulatory processes globally during quite tight and pressured timelines. I think. What our trade and export control laws bring is years of experience of navigating you know, technical export control lists, many of which overlap with you know, the target sectors that the foreign investment regime scrutinise. We're also quite versed on the trade side in understanding national security implications of commercial opportunities. So if you think about it, understanding the national security implications of seeking an export control licence for controlled dual-use technology going to China, it's You know, pretty similar to understanding the national security implications of a Chinese investor coming into the UK to invest in a company that develops such technology. So I think with that synergy, and I'm not sure that synergy is being replicated in many firms across our region, I think it works well for the benefit of clients who need that strategic and practical steer on the risks that might arise.
0: Thanks very much, Sunny. So Sarah, you've already mentioned communicating with the US. So obviously, the UK is a member of G7. It's a five eyes country. And I'm kind of interested in once the regime is up and running and operational, the extent to which you're going to be cooperating with other FDI systems, both on at a policy level, but also potentially on individual cases. Is that something that you can say about that?
1: Yes, of course. I have to say that G7 and the Five Eyes relationships have been so important to us thus far, actually. They've provided us a great deal of advice and experience from their own regimes. We have regular exchanges of information and lessons learned and best practice, which has been invaluable for us so far. And we're very keen to continue that um, and we'll certainly plan to continue that. On a case-by-case basis, I don't think I have a fully formed answer for you yet. Obviously, we're very, as every country, is very concerned about commercial sensitivity. So we look to coordinate where we can, but equally, we are very conscious of that sort of commercial sensitivity on a case-by-case basis.
0: That makes perfect sense to me, particularly given the subject matter involved around national interests. I think it's a bit different from merger control. But even in merger control, it's not possible in most cases to exchange commercially sensitive information. So good to hear that um, you're alive to that particular issue. So, Sonny, you know, given mm-hmm. the interconnections then between the world's FDI regulators, mm-hmm. how are you working sort of globally with colleagues to navigate this landscape on the most global of deals?
2: Sam, I think coordination is critical. We've seen a real proliferation of these types of laws over the last 12 to 24 months, uh, and the NSIA is but one example of that trend. So we need to see close coordination with global experts on the ground to understand whether a filing is triggered in the first place or otherwise recommended. And you and I are incredibly fortunate to have foreign investment experts in all the hot markets where we can call upon their expertise on the ground, you know, the likes of the US, France, Germany, Australia, Japan, you know, the types of markets that this Great Concurrence Series is covering, in fact. And what we see is that concepts of national security vary quite materially across these countries. And so that is why we need to lean on our colleagues locally. Our concept of national security varies from what is understood to be the case in France, for example. And you need that nuanced appreciation on the ground. So you know, we've heard from Sarah how authorities are coordinating. And so I think deal teams and their advisors need to be just as coordinated, if not more so.
0: Yeah. So I think we're coming to the end of our time now, Sarah, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to make any last remarks, either in connection with what, Son- with what Sonny has just said, or in fact, you know, more generally. So the floor is yours for a last remark, if you have one, Sarah.
1: I think I would just say, you know, sort of reiterate the fact that whilst we have changed our investment screening regime it doesn't mean that we've changed our appetite for investment more broadly we certainly still very much open for business and very much welcome all types of investment foreign British and this regime will not change that appetite for investment you know this is purely about giving us the right flexibility for powers so people shouldn't be put off that there's an extra bit of regulation to go through
0: that's a great note to end on. Uh, the UK is still very much open for business. Well, I, I'd like to thank you, Sarah, very much, and Sunny as well, very much for joining me today. I think that was uh, very informative, and uh, hopefully we can do something similar again in another year's time and, uh, and and see what our experience has been over the last year. But once again, thank you both very much for joining me today. listen to an episode of antitrust code by concurrences if you want to read more about this topic check the concurrences website where you can find all relevant articles follow us on twitter at competition and join the concurrences group on linkedin to receive updates on our next podcast